0: So the reading is three sections of Deuteronomy, starting with Deuteronomy 15, which is page 194. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel the loan he has made to his fellow Israelite. He shall not require payment from his fellow Israelite or brother because the Lord's time for cancelling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your brother owes you. However, there should be no poor among you, for in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I am giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. Rather be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Be careful not to harbour this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for cancelling debts, is near, so that you do not show ill will towards your needy brother and give him nothing. He may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to him, and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore I command you to be open-handed towards your brothers and towards the poor and needy in your land. Deuteronomy 19 verse 15. One witness is not enough to convict a man accused of any crime or offence he may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If a malicious witness takes the stand to accuse a man of a crime, the two men involved in the dispute must stand in the presence of the Lord before the priests and the judges who are in office at the time. The judges must take a thorough investigation, and if the witness proves to be a liar, giving false testimony against his brother, then do to him as he intended to do to his brother. You must purge the evil from among you. The rest of the people will hear of this and be afraid and never again will such an evil thing be done among you show no pity life for life eye for eye tooth for tooth hand for hand foot for foot deuteronomy chapter 26 verse 16 the lord your god commands you this day to follow these decrees and laws Carefully observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared this day that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways, that you will keep his decrees, commands, and laws, and that you will obey him. And the Lord has declared this day that you are his people, his treasured possession as he promised, and that you are to keep all his commands. He has declared that he will set you in praise fame and honour, high above all the nations he has made, and that you will be a people holy to the Lord your God, as he promised. This is the word of the Lord.
1: We're going to spend a little bit of time uh, looking at the Bible this morning, so let me pray as we do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be confident that as we open up this ancient book that you will speak to us through its words this morning. And so we do pray you'd give us ears to hear your word to us. Amen. Amen. Well, I wonder uh, how you found uh, Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy that was just been read for us and we've been looking at on Sunday mornings and in home groups over the past few weeks. Uh, I wouldn't be at all surprised if you found it a bit of a struggle. Like it's, it, for all sorts of reasons. I wonder if you've sort of struggled to get a grip with the book. Uh, Here's several reasons why that might be you. Firstly, the culture of Israel that we've been reading about in these verses is so different, so alien to our culture today. It can just seem very, very hard to connect with. Perhaps secondly, you read some of God's laws and commands and if you're honest, they just feel a bit bonkers, (laughs) Like, random at best, bonkers at worst. Why, for example, was it not okay for Israel to boil a goat in its mother's milk? Any takers? What does that mean? Or perhaps some of you might have read some of Deuteronomy and you think that some of the punishments for disobeying God's commands seem incredibly harsh. Some of them will be shocking for us to read today. And it's not unusual because of that to uh, hear atheist speakers talking about these verses and ridiculing the Bible, (coughs) making a mockery of it on the basis of what they read in some of these Old Testament laws. Perhaps that might be you this morning, just think it's ridiculous. Just think Christianity is off the wall. Hard to take God seriously in light of what we read in these Old Testament verses. Now, for many of us, I suspect that actually our, our overriding sort of emotion of feelings as we read these verses is just one of bemusement. We just don't quite know what we're to do with it, how we're to respond. And so I guess our default response is probably just to ignore most of it and think, I'll just do what Jesus says. I mean, that's not a bad motto in life, is it? But there is a problem with that approach. I don't know if you've ever tried uh, jumping in on the, the second part of a book or the second season of a series, and you really enjoy it and you get a lot out of it, but it's only when you go and read the first part of the book or the first season that suddenly the second season comes to life. And you think, ah, that's what it was about. That's what's going on. Well, I think understanding this Old Testament law is a bit like watching the first season or reading book one. It brings increased light and clarity and revelation to all that we read in the New Testament about the person of Jesus. So, uh, with your permission, actually you haven't got a choice, so I'm going to do it whether you like it or not. But what I'd like to do this morning is something a little bit different. Rather than looking at one particular passage, I'd like to do a bit of a general overview of Deuteronomy and how we can begin to apply its truth today. So what I want to do, if you like, is give you a bit of a toolkit that you can use to understand these laws and commands of God. However, a little warning for you this morning. I'm afraid it's not simple and easy. Uh, we have a little um, thing in our house with the kids of when, we're, when we ask them a hard question or something that's going to be confusing, they pause and they say, I-, I just need to put my thinking cap on. And for the next 30 seconds, you see the most, imag- most incredible and complicated imaginary thinking cap being put on. And that helps them to engage with what's been asked them. Well, this morning, I want you to put your thinking caps on. Okay, if you're going to get stuff out of this, you're going to need to be thinking uh, and working hard. So, in order to help us to get a, an overview of what's going in Deuteronomy, I've produced f- uh, a little diagram for you. should have been given this when you came in, in your service sheets. Now, don't panic when you look at this, okay? This might look like lots of colourful boxes and arrows and text. Don't panic my hope is that by the end we're going to go through this and it will make a bit of sense. But you might want to keep this with you as we go. Okay, well let's give this a go then. So, Deuteronomy. Ooh. Deuteronomy reveals to us the Old Testament Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law is the law that was given to Moses for the people of Israel by God. And the question that we want to ask, answer is this. So how does it apply to us today? Why is this relevant? What's this got to do with us? And I think Clive mentioned a couple of weeks ago a key verse in which Jesus talks about this question. We read it in Matthew 5, 17, and Jesus says this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. Okay, now here Jesus is saying to crucial things. The first saying, thing he's saying is, I've not come to abolish these laws. So, the, it's not that we think, ah, oh, Jesus got rid of this, this is no longer relevant, we can just ignore them. No, Jesus hasn't come to abolish them, but he has come to fulfil them. In some way, Jesus has achieved what these laws were given to God's people to do. And that means that in order to understand these laws today we have to understand how Christ fulfilled them. And Christ has done that in lots of different ways uh, and for lots of different reasons. So that's what we're going to try and go through now. Okay, is that okay? Everyone with me so far? Good, so if I've lost lost you now, we really are in trouble. Okay, so firstly then, what does this Old Testament law do? Well, it reveals Israel's sin and their need of Christ, because they can't obey it. So God gives Israel this law, knowing that they won't be able to keep it. And you think, why would you bother doing that? Well, he does it in order to show them that it was pointless to put their confidence before God in their own moral righteousness, in their own ability to do what God says. The law made Israel realise that actually they needed God to be gracious to them. But here's the thing, Jesus does what Israel couldn't do. Jesus obeys the whole law. He lives in perfect obedience to God the Father. He fulfils the law by meeting its demands. So what then for us? Well, similarly then, the law convicts us of sin because we realise we can't live how God commands us to. We can't achieve the standard. We we can't make ourselves right before God because we can't live how he asks us to. But Jesus has done what we could never do. Therefore, the law shows us that we need to put our confidence in Christ. Okay. Okay. So, you with me so far? That's what the law does generally. But, Clive mentioned last week that there are um, lots of different parts of the law. He's mentioned there's three different types, the moral law, the civil law and the ceremonial law. I just want to briefly think about those things. So, firstly then, the ceremonial law. What's that? Well, this is the law that details how God's people are to approach God's and to worship him. So these are laws that we saw last week about the tabernacle, about the priests, about the sacrifices that Israel were to make. Because God's people couldn't keep the law, these sacrifices, these ceremonies, were the means by which Israel would receive forgiveness from God. But the thing is, sacrificing a sheep or a goat... It doesn't really bring forgiveness, does it? It's, it's just a sign. It's a pointer, it's a shadow of Christ. You see, Christ fulfills those laws because he was the perfect priest. He was the perfect sacrifice on our behalf so that God's people might be truly forgiven and reconciled with God. So today, when we read all those Old Testament laws about those things, we no longer have to do them because these laws are about pointing us to Christ and his mediating work on a cross for us. Clive talked a lot about that last week, so that's the ceremonial laws. This week, I want to focus more on the moral and the civil laws. Now, the moral laws are the laws that basically reveal God's requirements for his people. And primarily we see that in the Ten Commandments, but we see it elsewhere as well. They reveal how God's people are to live. Now what's interesting is when Jesus comes, he teaches these laws, and he lives these laws out in his life. He shows us what it's like to obey them. Jesus doesn't change the laws but it does give us a greater understanding and clarity about what God requires of his people. So, you remember the bit in Matthew where Jesus says, uh, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery? And then he says, well, now I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have committed adultery. Ouch. So what Jesus does is he takes these Old Testament laws and he brings greater clarity of what God requires of his people. Uh, imagine, you're, um, imagine you're looking at a piece of art and it's, it's a beautiful piece of art and you have just s- sat down and you're just staring at it and you're amazed by its beauty and the intricacies of everything you could see. But it looks a bit fuzzy around the edges. Something doesn't look quite right uh, and then you realise you haven't got your glasses on. So you pop your glasses on and suddenly you see the clarity of this beautiful piece of art in a level of detail you've never seen before. I think that is what Jesus is doing with the Old Testament law. He's adding clarity as if Jesus is the glasses and said, you've heard this. Well, now let me show you what the law was really commanding, what it was really saying. So today, our understanding of these Old Testament laws is shaped by how Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament understand them. Okay, so you're with me so far. Ceremonial, moral, moral. One more category, and that is civil laws. Now, the civil laws are where God's moral law is applied uh, specifically to the nation of Israel. So therefore, these aren't timeless. These are given to a particular nation in a particular place. And Deuteronomy is full of civil laws. God gives civil laws for all sorts of reasons. But just turn to Deuteronomy 26, page 204. And we'll see one reason why God gives these civil laws. You see, as you look at verse 16 and down, you you see that God describes his people as a treasured possession. Special people that he has saved. So as a result of God saving this treasured possession, they are distinct. They are holy. That means they are set apart. They are different from the other nations. And the reason they are to be different is so the other nations might see them and be pointed towards God. So quite a few of the laws and commands in the Old Testament are given to help Israel to be distinct, to be different, to stand out. But Jesus introduces a big change in how we apply those laws. You see, Jesus introduces and creates a new people. God's chosen and distinct people are no longer Israel, but all those who by faith have put their trust in him. When Eureka became a Christian last year, she didn't suddenly become a member of, uh, an Israelite, she became a Christian, someone who puts their faith in Christ. So God's people today are the church, and the church is made up of people from all sorts of backgrounds and tribes and nations. God's people are no longer citizens of one nation in a particular land. Israel was a theocracy. Uh, A theocracy just means it was a a nation that was ruled by God. The nation's law was God's law. Uh, It might not have escaped your attention that we don't live in a theocracy. And so, the church is full of people who live under the governments of different nations. So we can't apply these laws literally. Instead, what we have to do is try and work out what the general moral principle is that these laws are teaching. Now, in a moment, we'll go through a couple of examples that, of that. But let me just pause there. Are you with me so far? I told you you'd have to you'd have your thinking caps on. Okay? God's law does various different things, and it splits into different uh, aspects. But let me just throw one little curveball into the mix, and it's this. These categories of moral, civil, and ceremonial law don't actually exist, having just told you what they all are. They don't exist. You don't go through the Bible and read a little bit which says, this is moral law now, this is ceremonial law, nothing. You just get the law. And when Jesus reinterprets it, he doesn't say, you know, this bit's this, this bit's this. These are just categories that human beings have made up to help us get our heads around what's going on in the Old Testament. Sometimes these laws might fit into more than one category. So, here's the thing. When we read the Old Testament, we don't just line up our three boxes of moral, civil and ceremonial and just pick it out and pop it in one box and say it's that. What we have to do is we have to look first at how Christ fulfils the law. And only then we can work out how it might apply today, and then we can work out whether it's a moral, civil, or ceremonial law. Let me try and give an illustration. Uh, My favourite films, uh, probably two of my favourite films of all time, have been uh, The Usual Suspects and The Sixth Sense, uh, going back a bit now. And the thing I love about both of those films is at the end... Uh, there is a massive twist. It's a huge twist. And it's the sort of point in the film where suddenly you go, and you start rethinking everything that you've seen in the film before and start imagining it in a new light because you've just seen the key that unlocks everything. It's a great moment. And I think that's exactly what Jesus does for us with the law. It's like he's the key. Through him, we see everything in a new light. He makes sense of everything that's gone before. And it's only by doing that that we can work out how the law applies today. Um, What I'd love to do at this point is stop and take questions uh, because I'm sure there's loads. Uh, But Clive's in on Monday morning, so uh, feel free to pop in, chat to him about all these things. He'll sort you out. For now. I'm just going to give um, a couple of examples uh, to try and show you how these things work through, if that's okay. So, turn to Deuteronomy 15. So it's page 194. 194, 15, 1-11. Okay, so what we see in these verses is God commanding, I think, two main things. The first thing he says, verse 1, after seven years, God's people are to cancel each other's debts. Okay, fair enough. Verse 7 to 8, God's people are to be kind towards those who are poor in the land. Verse 10, they are to give generously and not begrudgingly. Okay, good. Wow. Wow. How do we see those things in the New Testament? Well, we see very similar things, don't we? We see Jesus encouraging that we, uh, we give to the needy. The, the New Testament writers talk about God loving someone who gives cheerfully, not by compulsion. So we see these things echoed in the New Testament. And so therefore, as we look at what's going in Deuteronomy, we think, you know, this is a moral principle, isn't it? It's a moral law of how God's people are to live throughout the ages. However, what we don't ever get taught in the New Testament is that we should, um, uh, we should cancel people's debts after seven years. We never see that. That's never said. Why is that? Well, it's because Jesus changes the way we see and read the law. Remember, Christ creates a church, not a nation. So we're not living now in a theocracy where we all live under God's rule. We live under lots of different governments. And so it doesn't work. It doesn't work to apply this command. And so this command looks like a civil command. It looks like something that was given to a particular people at a particular time. So that's why it's not applied directly to us. However... What we can do is try and work out the general moral principle within that command. And I think it's probably something like this. Give without expecting repayment. That's we way to do. Good. Make sense? Good. Can we move me on? Next one, Deuteronomy 19. So, in Deuteronomy 19, we read here that one witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of a crime or offence they may have committed. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's a pretty sensible law, isn't it? Yeah, good. Okay, so what that law does, it is designed to ensure that people get a fair trial and that false witnesses don't pervert the course of justice. The punishment in these verses, if they do give a false witness, is verse 19, that they should receive whatever punishment the falsely accused would have received if they'd been found guilty. And that is based on the general principle of punishment in the Old Testament, which is the punishment, the crime merit, the punishment merits the crime. No, what's the phrase? Crime deserves the punishment. That You know that phrase, whatever that is. Yeah, the two should fit each other. They go together. So, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Now these verses emphasising the need for two or three witnesses are repeated in the New Testament. So there seems to be a moral principle here about people being treated fairly and not lying. But, in the New Testament, they are applied differently. They are applied to the church. Why are they applied to the church? Because Jesus has changed who God's people are. So he changes. So actually, there's a moral element, there's also a civic element. And the other thing, we haven't got time to look at this today, but... As you go through Deuteronomy and you see some of these punishments and you you wince at them, we do have to remember that these punishments are for a particular people at a particular time. They are civic laws. And so what we need to do is from that try and work out what the moral principle is for us today. Okay, there is so much more to say uh, and some of you are very grateful I'm not saying it We need to move on. Um, I hope I haven't confused you too much, but I'm trying to give you the tools that will enable you to look at any law in the Old Testament and work out how it applies today. Let me finish with one final way that Christ has fulfilled these laws for us. Remember right back at the beginning we said that God's law has the effect of helping us see that we can't live up to God's moral requirements. We fall short. We fall incredibly short. And so we said the law reveals our sin. But it also points us to the one who has perfectly fulfilled the law's demands. So that we might never ever again have to face the consequences, the punishment that we deserve for our failure to keep God's moral law. And Jesus is that man. Jesus is the one who perfectly keeps the law, He's the one who perfectly keeps and fulfills Deuteronomy 15 because He becomes poor in order to pay our debt. Jesus is the one who truly lives out Deuteronomy 19 because he and his father do not give false witness about himself. They speak the truth. See, the law points us to Christ, the perfectly obedient one. And so he can be our perfect priest, our perfect sacrifice, and therefore our saviour. And that means that you and I can truly be God's, Treasured possession for all eternity. And you can be forgiven and reconciled with him if you put your faith in Christ. So ultimately, this morning, how should you respond to God's law? Well, look, if you've got nothing else this morning, just remember this trust him. That's it. Trust him trust Christ, because there is nothing and no one else to trust. A moment of quiet and then I'll pray. Loving Father, gracious God, we thank you for the Bible, we thank you that you speak to us through it. And yet we confess that we find many of of the, particularly the Old Testament, hard to understand and hard to see how it applies to us. We pray that this morning you would give us the tools to be able to do that. But Lord, most of all, we thank you for Christ. We thank you that he has done what we could never do. Thank you that he has fulfilled the law and kept it for us. And so we pray today that we might take great comfort and confidence before you through him, our precious Saviour. Amen.